Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for triangulation is brought to you by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Triangulation with Tom Merritt and Leo Laporte. Episode 12, recorded April 27th, 2011. Michael Robertson. Triangulation is brought to you by Netflix. Watch thousands of TV episodes and movies streamed to your PC, Mac, or TV instantly. Plus, get DVDs by mail in about one business day. For your free 30-day trial, go to netflix.com slash twit. It's time for Triangulation, the show that covers... Uh, the best ideas, the most interesting ideas out there right now. Tom and I get to interview the most interesting people every week on this show. Tom Merritt, good to see you. Good to see you, Leo. Uh, I'm excited. A, yeah, we got a very interesting fella uh, joining us in just a minute, Michael Robertson. I'm sure you know the name. You know, he was a little controversial when we were doing the screensavers. I remember we were not sure about Lindos. Yeah. Which was a Linux version that was supposed to be very easy to use. He like this guy gets in trouble. He started mp3.com, which was the first mp3 service, got sued out of existence, started Lindos, Microsoft sued him. <laughs> I, think, I think he's just, I don't know whether he likes to get in trouble or he's so much on the cutting edge that uh, that's just... I think that's it. Drives, he's, he's always threatening business models wherever he goes. Yeah, it drives the existing people uh, crazy. Um, we're going to get to uh, Michael in just a bit, so stay here. I did want to mention uh, next week... On the show, uh, Captain Crunch. Yeah, Mr. Draper. John Draper. Now, that's going to be fascinating. That guy, wow. I mean, if you don't know, he, he essentially uh, is one of the premier early hackers. He's called Captain Crunch because he created a whistle. Actually, he found out that you could use the whistle from a Captain Crunch yeah, cereal yeah. box to hack the phone system. It had the right tones. So you just whistle it down, and he figured out which tones to whistle with it so you could make free long-distance calls. It was uh, actually 2,600 uh, hertz. Hence the name. Uh, hence the name 2600. Uh, he's a fascinating guy. Also wrote one of the very first word processors in fourth. Was in the homebrew club with Steve Wozniak. He was a big inspiration for Woz and Jobs. We'll have lots of stories with uh, Captain Crunch next week on the show. John Draper will join us. I can't wait to talk to him. Before we uh, get to Michael Robertson, though, let's talk a little bit about Netflix.com. Are you a Netflix subscriber? I am. <sighs> Just watched Salt this weekend. Salt? That was actually not a bad movie. I, you know, I, what I said is I'm glad I had a chance to watch it on Netflix because I don't know if I would have liked it as well if I had to pay and go right. out to the movies. But just on a whim, sitting down on the couch, let's watch Salt. It was great. Angelina Jolie. It was Kara Swisher who told me that she loved Salt. Oh, yeah. And, uh, so it definitely it's, kept me guessing. It's a, yes. Don't, no spoilers. Although Kara also told me an interesting thing about Salt, that it was originally cast to be a male lead. Ah. And uh, what happened was that they got Angelina Jolie and they re-jiggered it. And actually, it's much better with a female lead, I think. Yeah, it adds something to Great it. Great sure. story. Is Salt a Russian spy embedded in the United States for decades? Watch it on Netflix and find out. <laughs> and here's how you can do it for free. Go to Netflix.com slash twit. Netflix is, of course, everybody knows the DVD by mail system. You get uh, from one to five DVDs at a time. Send one back as soon as you're done with it, and you'll get another one within as, as little as one business day. You create a queue of all the DVDs you want to watch, and they just send you the next one in the queue, and now they've got the instant queue. You can watch instantly. And tens of thousands of movies now 
I think I don't do the movies uh, on by disc very much anymore because I can I can watch them uh, instantly. So if you're in the mood, like tonight, if you're in the mood, you can watch it tonight. Just go to netflix.com slash twit. Sign up for 30 days. It's yours free. Don't let the three stars that's actually, I know I know a lot of people dis disagree with me, but that's why I say I, like this I think people who went to the theater may have said eh, I got problems with it here and there, but it's it's a fun ride. Remember, they used to have to pay for Doctor Horrible's sing along blog. Not anymore, my friends. You can watch all of Firefly on Firefly anytime on you want. Uh, this is such a good, I, you know I missed the other guys in the theater. This is another one. I love Will Ferrell, and I really wanted to see uh, Will and Marky Mark. Really? <laughs> I, yeah, I did. Uh, and Dwayne, Jackson. The Rock, Johnson, and Samuel, the L. Jackson. <laughs> the other. See, these are all movies you can watch instantly with your free 30-day trial. Netflix.com slash twit. If you're not yet a member of Netflix, take advantage of this. If you are, sign a friend up. They'll appreciate it. They really will. Netflix.com slash twit. And we got a great guest this week. Every week, I think we top ourselves. we got another... Interesting uh, guest. Michael Robertson is joining us. He's a, a longtime entrepreneur. Uh, you may remember mp3.com, what uh, was originally called Lindos and now and then Linspire. Uh, most recently, Gizmo, which uh, was sold to Google. And uh, he uh, is joining us right now via Skype. Michael, so good to talk to you once again. Likewise, Leo. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. How did you get your start in the technology? Where did you begin? Mm, well, I went to school at UC San Diego, and I grew up very in, poor. In cognitive and science, I might add. Cognitive science, which is the study of intelligence, uh, for those who don't know. And, um, and, but, but I knew that uh, I grew up very poor, and when you're poor, you've got a couple ways to go. You can say, well, this is my lot in life, and I'll just copy my parents, or you can take the other path, which is what I did, which is anything my parents did, I'm going to do the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> That's what my and, kids are doing. It's interesting. <laughs> right. And, and uh, so my, my uh, parents, uh, uh, when they worked, uh, did, you know, the lowest menial labor. And so I said, what's the opposite of that? It's, it's having your own business. I'm going to have my own business. Interesting. And um, so when I graduated, I said, you know, let, let's go do something in the, in the tech world. Mm -hmm. you, you knew you wanted to be in tech. Yeah, well, I mean, I had, I had a, uh, an interest in technology in general. Um, this is the, this to, is the 90s. The, I mean, technology's going, right? It's the thing. Right, and I would have got into the computer science department at UC San Diego, but uh, I'm not smart enough. So <laughs> <laughs> cognitive science was a, 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 a something closely related. And then how did you make the jump from cognitive science uh, to being an entrepreneur in the, in the tech world? Was, MP3.com was not your first venture, was it? No, it wasn't. Um, when I graduated college, I started a consulting firm and uh, just doing uh, PC consulting. And, I, and, and it was decent money, but there's no scale, right? I mean, there's only so many hours in a day. You bill out your hours and that's it. And so I said, you know what? I need a business that has scale. And so I wrote some software programs. Um, and at the time, this was in the uh, early 90s, they did network security. So it would analyze a network and tell you where your vulnerabilities were. And people would say, why do I need this? You know, um, but there were enough buyers and I thought, ah, this is, this is good because you, you, know, you can write the software one time and sell it over and over. And um, so from there, I said, I need something bigger. Uh, and I saw my very first quick take. You remember the quick take that looks like binoculars? Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> it stored like, uh, you know, a, 16 photos. It was like yeah, the, right. one of the very early uh, digital cameras. Exactly. Yeah. And I saw my first one. I said, this is going to change everything. And so I created a company called Media Minds, which I don't put on my biography, and I should, um, because it was a huge disaster. It was a failure, you know. Um, and, and, but it taught me a very valuable lesson, and that is in technology, timing is really critical. If you're too early, that's the same as being wrong. And, and with Media Minds, I was too early. So I, I made a note to myself to, to watch the timing in the future so I can be sure and get that right. Yeah, I think I, you see that over and over, right? A lot of people look at uh, popular uh, innovations, uh, and the iPhone is usually what people use in this example, but I think Microsoft Windows is another example where it, they aren't the first. Everyone's like, oh, it's so derivative. So-and-so was doing this a long time ago, but they get the timing right. They come to market when people are thinking, that's what I need. Exactly. I mean, another great example is the Palm Pilot. Now, it's a little bit aged today, but it was the first successful handheld, you know, little uh, computer, and they made you write in your own language, and I mean, it had all these quirks, but it was the right product at the right time, and, and there was 10 years of failures before that, and it's a perfect example of you have to have that timing right. I think uh, that a lot of people uh, think of you as the founder of mp3.com when they hear your name. Uh, how did you get from Media Minds to mp3.com? What, what was the space in between there? Well, what I did after Media Minds is I created a company called files.com, F-I-L-E-Z. Oh, I remember that. Right, and, and, and what we did was we were a search engine, which I love the model, right? I'm like, this is great. You build it one time, and whether you have one customer or a million, your costs are basically the same. This is a, a business that can really scale. What we did at the time, we solved a very important problem. Uh, back in the mid-'90s, all the files weren't on web servers. They were on FTP servers. Right. So if you wanted pictures, right. sounds, graphics, software, updaters, etc., you had to go to FTP servers, but how would you know what FTP server to go to? You download so, WizFTP, and it comes with a list. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. That's where you start. Or you could go to files.com, type in the, you know, the, 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 the Palm software that you wanted or the graphic file or whatever, and we would say, hey, it's over there, it's over there, and direct you to the FTP server, which, which warehoused it. And, and the way I stumbled on MP3 was I would look at the top 100 list. What were people searching for? Because um, trends are important in technology. Now, people always, you've seen these lists all over the place, right? You know, uh, sex is number one or Britney Spears is, you know, number two or whatever it is. But people Charlie always, Sheen's doing well, right? Yes. He is doing yeah. well. Winning. Uh, uh, but, but people always look at the wrong part of the list. The most interesting part of the list is the very bottom. The long and tail. What's on, what's on the list that was never on the list before. Uh -huh. That's where the opportunity is if you're an entrepreneur. Um, if it's at the top of the list, you've already missed the boat. It's the, the, the sailed. You can't capture uh, uh, that value. But look at the bottom. And what I saw was something called MP3. And in my analysis was, I don't care what this is. It's moving up quick on my list of popularity. So there must be value there. So I, I didn't even know what it was at first. Brilliant. Um, that's, and, and definitely, that's, was this around 96, somewhere around there? Exactly. Because that, I can remember the first MP3 I ever got, somebody sent me a link to an FTP right. and said, hey, you know, check this out. You can get songs on here. Tom and I were talking about this. The first time I heard about MP3s, we were doing a show for MSNBC called The Site. And a kid who was going to be working for us soon doing a gaming show, Michael, I mean, uh, Glenn Rubenstein came to me and said, 
he was in college. All the college kids were taking our our CDs and we're turning them into this thing called MP3s, and we're putting on a central server, and then everybody can play everybody else's music. And I and I actually did a piece on it on MSNBC that night, and uh, that was right at the beginning of it. So you you obviously Michael had a great intuitive sense of of timing on this one. Yeah, it, it, it was timing, Leo, but it was also just listening. Um, so so what I did was, what, what people were doing is they were searching on files and they were adding the extension star.mp3. Uh, mm -hmm. So right? you knew and, that they were searching for it. Right, right. And that's what I mean why it was on the list for the first time because I could see what people were searching for. And in this case, I was, I was really looking at, at file extensions. Um, and so I knew that, hey, there, there must be an opportunity here. Let's go get a domain name. Uh, let's go create an MP3 <laughs> site. But, but the interesting thing is that at the time, I didn't see the opportunity as MP3. I saw it only as a way to get more traffic to my search engine. Oh, interesting. Right? Because what we had done at, uh, uh, at MP3, to, I'm sorry, at Files, was we had gone to Siberian Outpost, got a, a listing of their entire inventory, and we would match any search with something in their inventory. So think of it as the early uh, uh, keywords from, from Google. Sure. But it was only tied to Siberian Outpost, which, if you recall, was sort of the granddaddy of, of online e-commerce stores. They were getting 37% click-through. They were paying me $0.35 cents a click. I said, all I want is more traffic, and I'm going to get rich. So <laughs> MP3 was not like, wow, this is going to change the music world. It was really about getting more traffic to files.com. But the first day I turned the website on, I got 10,000 unique visitors. And all we did is just turn the website on. Wow. And, and meanwhile, Files, which we had been marketing like crazy, was getting 30 to 40,000 uniques uh, per day, which doesn't sound like a lot today. But back in uh, 1996, 97, <laughs> that, that, was was, that, was sure. that was everybody on the Internet. <laughs> sure, sure. And, and so that, that, that first aha was when I turned it on and we got 10,000 people going and typing in mp3.com. Because before I bought the domain, it, it was not used. It's it's interesting. Do you, do you think you, that you made a pivot once you realized where the traffic was, or how did you know to change what MP3.com was up to? Well, it, 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 we did pivot, but not instantly. Um, what I did here uh, is, is listen to users. So we created this this site called MP3.com, uh, um, uh, which, by the way, I, I bought for a thousand dollars from oh. a guy who had bought it. He didn't know what MP3 was. He bought it just because the initials in his name were M and P. Oh, jeez. Serious. That's serious a, and, and that was a lot of money to pay for a domain name. Oh, my gosh. It, it, you know, people say, oh, you were so lucky. And I say, wait a second. <laughs> this is 1997. Yeah. I'm broke. I'm newly married. I got a, a nine-month-old kid. Oh, man. I got no furniture in my house. I'm driving an 87 Honda Accord that's beat to hell, you know, and I paid $1,000. When I went home to my wife, I said, hey, uh, I bought a, a domain name today. I think it's going to be good. Honey, there's this said, thing called the Internet. <laughs> so she said, she said what would you buy? And I said, well, it's, it's mp3.com. And she goes, that's just two constants and a number. It doesn't even mean anything. What is that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Trust me. It's like, going to be First good. of all, someday three-letter domain names will be incredibly valuable. <laughs> Second of all. Well, that's true. Now, but, right. So what, what did mp3.com become? Well, what we did is I said, well... We're just going to aggregate news on MP3, put our search box everywhere. That's, that's the site. Well, people would send me emails saying, you know, your site sucks. I go to there expecting music, and you don't have any music. Ah. And I thought, well, that's true. And so I, I did a bunch of searching on the Internet, and it turns out that 
every music site on the internet in 1997 would have pictures of bands, it'd have articles of bands, maybe 30-second clips, but no music. And I thought, well, that's lame. You know, we need some music. So I drive in my beat-up car, beat car to Los Angeles to meet with the major record labels because most of them have offices in Los Angeles. And those meetings lasted about 92 seconds. Thanks, kid. Get out of here. <laughs> exactly. You know, I remember telling them, hey, you won't believe what people are doing. They're listening mm. to music on a computer. No. And one of them said, people are not going to listen to music on a computer. Oh. Most computers don't even have speakers. Computers are for word processing. And I'm like, no, no, it's going to change. It's going to change. And they, they dismissed me. But, but I knew then, th that was actually good, because I knew then they weren't going to work with me. So I thought, all right, where can I get music? I'll go to independent bands. Unsigned who, who artists. Who aren't signed. Who yep. aren't signed. Right. And so I scoured the entire internet looking for bands, and I found a dozen. And, and I would send them emails saying, can I link to your, to your song? And they, their songs would be on GeoCities and, and places like that. And they said, sure. Well, you'd go to the rock section, and there would be two bands, and everyone would click on the first band and crash GeoCities. Right. <laughs> and then still send me hate mail saying, I went to your site for music, and it crashed. Right. You suck. Right. So I thought, you know what? We need to host the music. Right. So let me, let me ask these people if they'll give me the music to, to host. I'll host it for free, which... In 1997, this was a big deal. I said, uh, you know, I'll host it for free, no bandwidth, no storage charges, um, but you got to give me at least one full-length 128K MP3 to give away for free. Um, and, of course, all of them said, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. So we started making web pages, and after about 30 web pages, I thought, this doesn't work. This is too much work. we got to make, maybe we can make a self-serve form where the Fans upload the songs, yeah. the pictures, the text. I'm looking at your 1997 version of mp3.com on archive.org. And oh, I, at, the, at the very bottom, it says, we're looking for bands which have mp3s of their music. If you make your own music and you like your music on our site, email Marcel. There you go. <laughs> so I can see where it's like, at some point, Marcel's like, you know what? Maybe we should no, stop figure out a better me. way of doing this. Absolutely. So it sounds so remedial today, like to, to create a self-service website. Uh, but back then, Brilliant. uploading an audio file was unheard of. Really? Yeah, yeah. MP3.com is an amazing uh, success story. I mean, you were actually prescient, if you think about it. I mean, this, is, this, is, this was the future of music, but it was a little early. Uh, I, know, I know that the record industry was not a fan. The Grammy, uh, you tried to put an ad in the Grammy uh, magazine, and they said, no. <laughs> Well, and because yeah. I think that's a pivotal point that we're getting at. When, when it stopped being email Marcel your, your MP3 and it started being upload the MP3, is that when people started to put up MP3s that weren't their own? No, no they never did that really because we listened to every song before it posted. Okay, oh, good. So, um, and, and actually, so we did something very uh, uh, ingenious. It, it wasn't ingenious. Uh, uh, um, well, here's what happened. So, the music industry was always very critical of mp3.com. They would say things like, that's a dumb name. I mean, that's like naming your company betamax.com. Right. You know, the, the second a new thing comes along, you're going to get outdated. Um, and another thing they said was, well, you just let everybody upload. You're going to have a bunch of, uh, you know, star-spangled banner arm fart songs. You know, that's uh, <laughs> going to be a pile of crap. Nobody will, yeah, nobody who likes real music would want to do this. Exactly. So, so I, I took that to heart. And this is what I mean about, uh, you know, listening to, to the feedback. And I said, you know, they're right, but there must be a way that we can make the good, the good music 
automatically bubble up. So I said, what if we measured what people were clicking on, what were they downloading, what CDs were they buying, and we floated all the good music to the top. Now, this was genius, not because it self-organized the music, which it did, though. Um, it was genius because it turned every artist into a marketer for mp3.com. They would go to their own website. They would go to their shows and say, go to mp3, click on my stuff, because they all wanted to be at the top of the charts. Right. And this is what made it viral, mm -hmm. and this is what exploded the growth. And to get back to your question about people uploading songs that they didn't own, that never happened because, A, we listened to every song before it was published, and, B, if any artist even heard a clip from another song in somebody else's song, they would narc on them so they would get moved <laughs> off the charts and they would get higher. Yeah. So the, the community actually was, was very uh, rigged about uh, um, making sure songs weren't up there uh, that were unauthorized. Did, it, did any big artists approach you as this started to take off and say, hey, this is great, we want to be part of this? Um, yes. Uh, you know, uh, by the time I sold mp3.com, if you turned on Top 40 radio and you went to the mp3.com charts, they were exactly the same. It's all there. Because they had to, because music companies have to go where the fans are. And so initially they, they, they uh, completely ignored mp3.com. But over time, you know, first the indie bands would do it and then the small labels would do it and then the medium-sized labels would do it and by the end, even the biggest guys. I remember going to a Laker game and I heard, you know, uh, uh, um, every intermission song. I go, oh yeah, that song's on MP3. We got that. We have oh, yeah, that. that one's on there too. And they had given it to us royalty free wow. to to stream the song in its entirety. Why? Because they wanted to break the new album. Right. You know, uh, create buzz, etc. You did the largest at the time, the largest technology IPO ever. Uh, it was July 1999, 370 million dollars. You opened mm -hmm. at 28 dollars a share. Where by the end of the a day you were at $105 a share. You really rode the popularity of that word, MP3. And I see on, uh, according to Google or uh, Wikipedia, Lannis Morissette invested and had 400,000 shares, made $3.4 million. <laughs> right. She was one of the early, you know, the, the, the savvy managers for the artists, not the artists themselves, but the savvy managers actually would drive to San Diego and say, hey, what can we do together? Wow. This is an early trend. I want my artists to be part Smart. of it. And Alanis Morissette was one of them. Smart. So you ended up selling it. Uh, what happened to MP3? Yeah, so what, why, why did it get into hot water? If, if, you were, if you were curating it, it seems like the record companies wouldn't have much to object to. Right. So what we did is I built something called my mp3.com. Uh, Let me explain how this worked. So in, in my vision of the world, everything lived in the cloud. But in 1999, nobody had broadband. Um, and so the feasibility of uploading all of your songs was completely impractical. Mm -hmm. so Most people what being I on dial-up, right? Exactly, that dial-up. So the notion of uploading even a couple of songs was, was a very lengthy process. So what we did is we built this technology called Beamit. What you could do is you could take your physical CD. It only worked with CDs. Um, and you could put it into your computer. And what our technology would do is analyze the sound wave patterns. And once we analyze the sound wave patterns, we would, not all the time, but most of the time, identify what CD that is. So we've noticed, hey, this is Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill, for example. And we would automatically activate those songs in your locker. I remember doing this. That's right. And it was really fun. You would just pop CDs into yeah. your 
computer as fast as, you know, toast into a toaster. You didn't have to rip them because you had exactly. it. Right. Exactly. Well, and, and, and you couldn't download them. You could only stream them. It was in a low bit rate. Uh, you know, you could organize them and play them. It was all password protected. I, I made the point to the industry, this is really good for you because it lengthens the life of the CD. It modernizes the CD. Instead of, instead of um, obsoleting it, we're making it more valuable to have a CD. Right. And they're saying, no, no, no. We want to sell them a whole new format. <laughs> Don't do that. Yeah. We, we also did a, 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 um, something with retailers uh, if you remember, there were sites uh, like CD Now mm -hmm. uh, uh, um, that sold CDs online, and I would joke it should be called CDInFourDays.com because <laughs> you, you would buy a CD and then you right. have to wait for the postman. Should and be. I said that's just dumb. If somebody buys a CD, let's instantly let them stream the the tracks while they're waiting for the CD in the mail. So that was another feature that we uh, rolled out, and every retailer that turned that service on saw immediate sales boost of 20 to 40 percent. By the way. But the, the music industry is incredibly litigious, and they were threatened by MP3.com, um, and uh, so they sued us. I, 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 um, later, the company that sued us, Universal Music, actually bought us. But uh, and, and 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 when companies you know buy each other, there's usually something called a closing dinner, where you go you know out to a big steak dinner celebrating the, the transaction. And I sat next to Edgar Bronfman. Oh, yeah. Who was the CEO of Universal Music. The, the company Seagram's there. Yeah. Exactly. He, he, he uh, sat next to me, and we're eating this wonderful steak dinner, and right in the middle of dinner, he looks at me and goes, Michael, do you know why we sued you? And I said, no. And I was really shocked that he even asked the question. Yeah, right. Because normally at the closing dinner, you're all buddies, right? Yeah, right. You know, um, he says, we thought you were getting too powerful. We didn't want you to take over the music industry, so we sued you. Wow. And, they would have sued Apple sued if they could have, huh? And what they sued me for was, if you remember with my MP3, when you put that CD into the, the, uh, uh, the computer, ahead of time, we had gone out and bought a million dollars worth of CDs and built this very elaborate, sophisticated database. Well, we didn't have a license from them. Th these are CDs that we went, literally went to a CD store and bought. Um, and their contention was, well, you need a license from us to operate this service. Our position was, no, I don't, because when Leo puts in his CD... I'm just letting him listen to tracks that he's proving that he has. Right. You know, when you go to the bank, you don't get out the same $20 bill that you deposited, right. but it's exactly the same, so it shouldn't matter. And, and ultimately, we lost the case. You know, the, the judge in New York sided with the record label, sided with the Universal Music, and we lost the case and had to pay them uh, an, un, an obscene amount of money to settle the case. $53 million. Right, and, and the irony is, is that, so they sued us, they win, the stock goes crashing down, and then they buy my company. <laughs> Sons so, uh, of bitches. <laughs> yeah, they are bastards. Well, Jesus. You were cheaper. Much cheaper. You know, yeah. it, it you, know really you must have this strange sense of deja vu, though, because it's happening exactly the same way with Amazon and their cloud service, and Sony's saying, you can't do that. Well, and you've got MP3 tunes doing a lot of the same things as well and, and still getting in hot water with the industry. Yeah, it is, and I think that's a, you know, what I would uh, um, point out to your viewers is that when it comes to copyright lawsuits, uh, don't assume that the lawsuit is about right and wrong. Don't assume that there's somebody who is immoral and right. broke the rules because quite often it's not about right and wrong. It's purely about business. It's business. And it's, it's, it's one guy deciding, you know what? 
I think I can put some pressure on this guy by going to court. In, in my case, Universal Music got up in front of the judge and said, Your Honor, this guy is lawless. He doesn't care about the laws. Ugh. He's a renegade. And then we would break, and they would say, hey, man, um, so are we going to do business or what? <laughs> I mean, it was an amazing contrast, and, and, and that's why I don't assume just because someone's involved in a lawsuit that they did wrong, because it may or may not be true. These guys are sharks. They are. It's amazing. They're tough. They're tough. Well, and, it's, and, it, and that, to me, explains why Amazon has been able to pull this off. Because they they have big guns, they have leverage. Well, so uh, they are somebody that the industry wants to do business with because Amazon is helping them gain leverage over Apple, who they think is too powerful. And so they're like, well, we don't really like that Amazon's doing this, but at the same time, we kind of need them in our court. It's very complex. Do you do you look back in hindsight, Michael? Though, say, well, it was about the 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 bubble was about to burst anyway, so maybe it's okay we're out of this business. I mean, this was right at the dot-com bubble burst, right? Yeah, the, the bubble had actually uh, uh, burst quite a bit. You know, mp3.com was actually doing well. Uh, when I sold it, we were doing $80 million of revenue a year. We were profitable by $17 million. Wow. Um, so so we, we had actually built, in, in a very short time, uh, a, a fairly substantial business. Um, you know, I, I would say this, uh, Leo. I, I grew up very poor, and... So while sometimes I look back and I say, man, we were so far ahead of our time. You know, we did mp4.com, which was hosting videos, by the way, a la wow. YouTube. Wow. Um, and and, and when, when Universal bought it, they just destroyed it, you know, either you know, primarily out of uh, mostly incompetence yeah, because, ignorance. you know, yeah. offline companies can't really do online. Um, so sometimes I do look back and say, wow, you know, uh, uh, mp3.com could have been so much more. But then sometimes I look back and say, you know, here's some poor kid who grew up in poverty who is, uh, you know, doesn't have to worry about money anymore. And that, that's a big accomplishment. You've done all right since. It's not, I guess, the end of the world. It must hurt, not so much financially, but just you build something and something good. And then this, this kind of, uh, for, for bad reasons, this thing kind of falls apart is, is must have been very frustrating. Yeah, I mean, uh, mp3.com at, at its time was the, the number one digital music company in the world, and Universal Music bought it and literally shut it down, turned it off uh, two and a half years later. Un unbelievable, yeah. un unfantomable uh, for, for, you know, and we had 140 engineers. Um, I mean, it was really a terrific uh, outfit, but hey, that's life, you know, you, you move forward. I think it is one of the greatest examples of how copyright law is working in the wrong direction mm -hmm. because we still haven't got a site that mm -hmm. replicates what mp3.com was doing in 1999. Uh, you, we still don't have the right to put a CD, and not that people are buying CDs in great numbers anymore, but you know, even now with broadband, if I could put a CD in and it, it recognized it, or if I could just have it look at my directory and say, oh yeah, you've got all those, boom, now yeah. you've got them over there, that would be fantastic. You we have could to have upload had it. that. 10 years ago, and, and we still can't have it now because, well, technically you've got to move that file directly over there or else in the eyes of the law, because of the mp3.com suit, you don't have the license to do that. Yeah, I agree. That's why I guess Amazon makes you upload it, right? You can't, yeah. you know. I, I would assume that's right, and that's ridiculous. It's squashing innovation. It's yeah. not encouraging it. Well, and the sad thing is this kind of short-sightedness on the part of the music industry costs them money as yeah. much as anybody else. It doesn't help anybody. That's frankly. the frustrating thing, Michael, when you say it's all about business. But it's bad business. You start to look at it and you're like, yeah, but they don't, they don't see the opportunity. I mean, I, I'm, I know that this has frustrated you over the years. 
Sure. They look at every technology. It's, it, you know, it's, it's important sometimes to try to see things through your uh, uh, opponent's eyes. And they look at every new technology and say, how will this hurt my existing business? And, 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 and they always draw some amazing um, tragedy mm-hmm. that overemphasizes the downside. Mm-hmm. You know, every new technology is going to utterly destroy their business. That, that's the approach they have. And, and when you take that approach, you're really not going to embrace any new technology. That's just the, the way it is. What is it that encourages businesses to take that defensive posture of how is this going to hurt me and let me start, start trying to stop it instead of saying, well, how is it going to hurt me and how is it going to help me and what direction should I take? Why don't they do that more often? Right. Well, because uh, at the time, um, the, the music companies were hugely profitable. And so when, when you're at the helm of a hugely profitable company, uh, your goal number one is to hold on to your profits. It's not to take risks. It's not to uh, compete against yourself. It's not to cannibalize. You know, that, that's how they'll look at any effort is, hey, this could cannibalize CD sales. And, and that's how they look at every new technology. You know, I remind people that the music industry sued the first MP3 player as well, saying that's an illegal device. The now, fortunately, yeah, right. fortunately, they lost that one. You know, but they... That's their habit is they pretty much just sue everything because it's, it's safer to try to protect what you have than to go out on a limb and risk the uncertainty of, of a new uh, revenue source of, of, of unknown size. Although, I mean, it's not just the record industry. I think it's any established business. I'm in, actually curious because you're obviously a brilliant businessman. It, it, I understand a little bit how if you design a business around a certain business plan, it's very hard to reinvent the business and say, we're going to make money a different way now. Uh, very few companies ever succeed at doing that. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, listen, any industry has a huge uh, uh, um, domain knowledge, you know? Uh, and so when I, when I see companies that truly fundamentally change, Nokia being a great example, who changed from like a rubber company mm-hmm. to a phone company, uh, you know, Netflix, um, uh, Nintendo. A lot of credit. Uh, you know, it used to uh, be a playing card company. <laughs> yeah. Sure. That shows an incredible leadership because it is very hard to change from one industry to another because the world is a very complex place. Right. I look at the New York Times and I, you know, I'm rooting for them, but what a difficult thing it is. And because the risk is you go online, you cannibalize your current business, and where does the revenue to support the online come from? How do you make that transition? It's got to be very difficult. Uh, I agree. Very challenging. Now, certainly, you know a little bit about <laughs> creating businesses because this—that's you're a serial entrepreneur with many successes uh, under your belt. I mean, uh, Linspire uh, was just a couple of years later. That's right. I, you know, I, I had some success with MP3, and I said, "What's the biggest challenge out there? Let's go compete with Microsoft." Oh. Um, you know, I mean, they're big at the time, the richest uh, corporation in the <laughs> Why world. Why not? Did you know? Come and, on, you didn't say let's go compete with Microsoft. Did you sure. really? Absolutely, absolutely. You wow. know, if, if guys like me with resources aren't, aren't willing to do it, then then who is? You got and so that's why I created Lindos, yeah. uh, which is trying to make desktop Linux a viable competitor to to Microsoft uh, Windows uh, Monopoly, and um, we didn't succeed. Uh, but you did uh, we something were, so well. I mean, it, th- th- you really made what Linux needed at that time and still to this day needs is a desktop that regular users can use, and you made it so easy to install applications. So it was. Linux for people who wanted Windows, who wanted something as easy to use as Windows. It was quite brilliant, really. 
Uh, you know, we tried really hard. You don't always win in business, even when you do everything right. Uh, we definitely pushed the industry forward. Uh, there's still to this day when, you know, when you type uh, in uh, Firefox and you see it underlying your misspelling, that's code that we wrote that lives on really? today. Really? Yeah, to, yeah, absolutely. Um, to, you know, in the open source, uh, uh, you awesome. know, contribution. So still to this day, now we were not successful. We had a big battle with Microsoft. They sued us. Over the um, name, over the, right? over the name, Lindos. Um, well, I understand that. We, we ended up changing the name. Uh, most people know that, but what they don't know is um, what what came out in the S one that we had some financial filings. Is the the finances that happened behind the scenes? Huh. Um, what happened? So, uh, so don't think of it necessarily as a loss. You you can do your own uh, net search there and figure out. Um, what happened? So maybe you got a little money from those guys up there in Redmond to change it to Linspire. That that could have been a, a possibility. <laughs> and you can, you guys know how to use Google. You can uh, do that research uh, yourself. But, Interesting. You know, here, here was the point. They said they had the exclusive rights to the word Windows, which is a bunch of nonsense. Of course not. Right. Similar to Apple, who says they're the only person that can App use Store. the word App Store. Yeah. yeah. It's completely preposterous. And, and, and we fought Microsoft on that, and, and we had them in a very, very vulnerable position. And so we ended up, I, I think, you know, getting to an outcome that kept them happy and kept us happy. Did you, did you, I'm wondering, did you use the word App Store on Linspire? You know, I wrote, a, if you look on michaelrobertson.com, I wrote an article about um, uh, three weeks ago. So it says, Apple, you didn't invent the App Store. Um, because one of the things that we did, at Linspire was create an application store we call Click and Run. Click and Run, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Here's the thing. Installing software on Linux was uh, painful, yeah. right? There was no installer whiz like there was on Microsoft Windows. So I said, let's take this opportunity to make everything one-click easy. And, and that's what we did with an app store we called Click and Run, and it had, you know, hundreds of applications in it, which you could click and install, much like... Um, Apple's a, a, a PC store, and you know, for that matter, their iPhone store today. Um, so that was part of my my uh, writing. There it was Apple. You didn't invent the application store. Now they've executed very well, and I don't mean to diminish any any uh, thing that Apple has done. Uh, Jobs is no, uh, but they don't uh, own it. That's right. That's right. And you know what? It makes it, it, it frustrates me that a company who is so amazing at execution and who is just kicking everyone's ass has to go to you know a cheap defense like, uh, you know, don't use uh, the word app store. That's pathetic. Apple, just go compete in the marketplace where you're doing very well and, and no one can seem yeah. to match. Yeah, really? Come on. It's like, uh, you know, you're winning 21 to nothing and you, 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 you try to score another touchdown. Just relax. That's, That's how you win the game, though, because they can come back if well, you don't have that 28th point. There's, <laughs> there's no question that Steve Jobs has the cutthroat instinct, and I have to think that that's why. It doesn't matter if he's ahead. He's going to continue to play as if he's not. Sure. Um, now, in you sold Linspire. Yeah, I was going to say I was going to move us on to, yeah. to Sipphone, which of course people know better as Gizmo, which I love, and I was so bummed out because you sold to Google a couple of years ago, and they haven't. They, they finally they killed it. It was a great uh, voice. They cannibalized client. it. I mean, they they've used some of the technology in Google Voice, but the they, client's gone. I, yeah, I couldn't download it anymore. Yeah. I still have a copy of Gizmo Five on this computer. Uh, because it was, it still it works. It's a great SIP phone. Yeah, what 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 we wanted to do there is is create an an open 
uh, right. uh, VoIP platform. You know, Skype is wonderful. Hell, we're using it now, but it's closed, right? It's a, right. You can't go build a Skype phone or a device right. without Skype's permission, and I'm a big open standards uh, uh, person, and so Gizmo 5 was built around the SIP standard, which meant you know anybody could interoperate with it very easily. And in fact, that's why Google bought us because we interoperated very nicely with right. Google Voice. Right. And it was the Google Voice division that actually bought um, Gizmo Five. And then um, they did uh, terminate its development, and they they offer calling, but they don't have a desktop client. Um, Google is very much. Um, thinking everything should be in the browser. Right. And so today you can make and receive calls inside Gmail um, and that uses uh, you know, some of our technology and some of my engineers are, are, are working on that to this day. Uh, but they don't have a desktop client that competes head-to-head -head with Skype. So what are you doing these days? Well, I just launched, a, um, well, a few years ago I launched a company called MP3 Tunes. And MP3 Tunes... Uh, is it takes another run at personal cloud music. So it's a unlike, locker. No, that's right. That's right. Aren't you unlike worried about getting sued though, again? <laughs> unlike my MP3, people have to upload every single uh, oh, uh, song. Okay. Um. So it's it's very similar to um, Amazon service. Of mm -hmm. course, it's much better because we've been working on it for five years. Um. But we don't have the Amazon name, so people write about Amazon <laughs> as if we don't exist. Yeah. Um. But we have you know iPhone support and Android support and internet radio support and it plays all your music on your Roku. It it's all built around a very open platform. Um. To store all of your music. And of course, this. the music industry is threatened and EMI Records is suing us. Oh! Now what are they God. suing you for? What's, what's the rub this time? What's, what's the smokescreen? Right. It, they're making um, a whole bunch of, of very esoteric arguments. Here, here's one which probably will be appreciated by your group. Um, our system, like every online storage system in the world, uses something called deduplication. What does that mean? That means, let's say two people upload the exact same file. Bit for bit the same. Well, our system, you know, we tell it, hey, keep two copies on different drives for, for security. But after I have two copies on different drives, if I get another one, the service doesn't go, well, keep making copies because the service says, hey, I already got this. Now, this is the way every uh, Microsoft Exchange server works. You know, if you, if you email PowerPoint to 10 people, the server doesn't make 10 copies of it on the server. It makes one copy and references it. Well, the music industry thinks that is a copyright infringement. I mean, it's a preposterous um, argument, but you know what? It, it makes us spend, us being MP3 tunes, spend seven digits mm -hmm. on legal defense, drags us through the mud for four years, chases away partners, slows down development, um, all of that kind of good stuff. And, you know, they win even if they don't win the lawsuit, right? right? They, they slow people down, and a lot of times companies just run out of money, and they win by default. And so it's, it's completely preposterous what they're um, alleging but you know what? It's, it's, uh, it's almost over. We, we've done all the arguing. The papers are filing. And now we're just waiting for the judge's ruling. So your, your motion to uh, dismiss because of the safe harbor, the YouTube, YouTube won on the safe harbor. That's uh, right. Uh, uh, a portion of the DMCA. That didn't go through then. Well, we're at the same. We've made the same argument that YouTube has. Right. Um, now, now, unlike YouTube, we don't offer sharing. Every account is password protected, and so it's 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 no threat to the music industry. This is just about power. This is right. just about control, right. um, because they don't want companies like Amazon to launch a similar service without paying them a license. They want Amazon, Apple, Google, Facebook, whoever's going to do this, to pay them a huge amount of money. 
um, for the rights to store music in the cloud, even if it's your own personal music collection. I think that's preposterous, uh, but sometimes you've got to fight these things in court. Well, it's the, it's the, the creaking logic of treating f infinitely copyable files as physical objects. That's what's going on here, because if this were somehow physical objects, then their, their argument makes sense, which is you can't just copy a bunch of CDs and, and hand them out for free, so why should you be able to say, you know what, if, if we've got one copy of an MP3, we're going to share it a bunch of, amongst a bunch of different people. Same reason that uh, uh, Zadinga is in uh, uh, trouble for saying, well, we're going to rent DVDs over the Internet. They're like, oh, you can't do that. That's mm -hmm. a broadcast now. It's, it's taking these old metaphors and trying to apply them to new systems. Uh, I think yeah, it's so important that the law acknowledge the difference. Do you see, I mean, you've, you've been to court a few times. Do you see any chance that, that the legal system is starting to acknowledge that there's something different about digital files? Well, Tom, you couldn't be more more correct. Um, you know, I, I've been through multiple depositions, and I can give you a flavor of how they try to twist the situation. In a deposition, they'll ask you a question like this. Now, on a hard disk, is there a special place just for each user's files? <laughs> you know, and you say, well, no. And you're saying, so all the files are all commingled and, like, all mixed up, and you're like, yeah, because that's sort how hard disks work, you know. I mean, it's not like you create a little. It's not like a locker in, at the gym, you know. Um, but that's the kind of exactly as you as you said, Tom. That's the kind of old world thinking that they're applying. And unfortunately, there's no part of the copyright law that talks about streaming or downloading or uh, 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 um, fairness or you know deduplication or any of these things, right? What 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 we have is laws that were designed uh, now uh, decades ago uh, with no contemplation of digital or the internet or anything like that to apply to today's world. And sometimes you get weird results because you get judges who don't know technology or get confused on the, the, uh, the, the issues and, um, and you get unforeseen consequences. Now, I would say YouTube One, that was huge, right? That was monumental. Uh, VO1... Um, so there are some victories that are happening, and hopefully this means the tide is turning. Another very important case was Cablevision, which, which launched a network-based uh, uh, DVR uh, for their users. They were sued, and, and they prevailed in their case, too. Yeah, that's the kind of the, the, the hope there is that case might become a precedent. We're going we're gonna to wrap it up with you, but before we do, I want to talk a little bit about education because you've become very involved in that. I know you have the uh, Robertson uh, Foundation that you're uh, using to support uh, education. Um, and you have, I think, an, an unusual take on it. Tell me, tell me about what, what's your thought about the state of education, particularly public education uh, in California right now? Well, well I think uh, ultimately education is an investment. And it needs to be treated as an investment, not as an emotional decision, you know, go bears or something. It needs to be treated as an economic investment because it's the most important economic investment. It's the biggest investment. And it's one where you can't make a mistake. What I mean by that is if you buy a house, if you buy a boat, you buy a car, you start a company, and you make a mistake, you say, oops, you declare bankruptcy, you get a do-over. Right. If, however, you take out $120,000 in student loans to go to college, and you end up with an art major uh, uh, with, with $100,000 of, of college debt around you, 
you can never escape that. You can't go, oops. And, and so what I, uh, my foundation has done is done a lot of research on what is the economic value of an education you know, does it make sense to spend 50 grand, 100 grand, 150 grand on education? Will you get that money back? And the results are quite sobering. Um, if you look at public schools, public universities, the median return is 4%. What does that mean? That means that if you go to college over the next 25 years of your working life, it's like in getting a 4% return on your money. <laughs> Now, now this is the median, right? The median, if you remember back in, in high school, is the middle number. That means half the people are going to do better than 4%, mm -hmm. but half are going to do less than 4%. So for, for government-subsidized colleges, you're going to get a 4% return. For private universities, right, ones that aren't subsidized by the government, you're going to get a 2% return, the median one. That means for <laughs> nearly half of the people who are going to college today, it simply doesn't make economic put, sense. Put your money in, the, in a CD, you make more money. That's what I was just thinking. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Actually, at HuffPo, I, I saw a great slideshow that they got from payscale.com, and they show the worst return on investment in terms of colleges, and some of them are really uh, pretty awful. But how do we, how do we, but that's, okay, I understand the problem. How do we fix this? How do we, how do we make our investment worthwhile? Well, I think the, the college costs have to come down. Um, you know, uh, 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 they're simply outrageous. We're paying too much. Yeah, absolutely. But every college will say this is how much it costs. That is true, um, but there needs to be a change in thinking. Today, the society is, hey, everyone should go to college, and the better the college, you know, the, the, the more the cost doesn't matter. And that's simply wrong. It's simply um, uh, uh, too basic of an analysis, and people need to be more discerning about college as an investment. And so it, it's, it's, it's wholly broken right now, in, in my opinion, and it's going to take, uh, you know, the, the problem is this. You have a whole generation of kids that are incurring $60 billion Ugh. a year in college debt that they're never going to get out from under. You know, um, in my foundation, I've written this, and I'll get these sob stories from people saying, I have $85,000 in debt. Ugh. My a girlfriend doesn't want to marry me because she doesn't want the responsibility of this debt. I can never buy a house because I'm never going to be able to pay off these loans. That's a travesty, a tragedy of, of huge proportion. And, and, it, and it's sad to me because when I went to college, it was cheap. You know, it was UCSD was 2500 bucks. You could work in the summer, save your money, and then pay for college. And, and times have so radically changed that it's sad uh, for me to think about the prospects for young people today. It is sad. We, you, California has this amazing state college system. Uh, the junior colleges, community colleges are free. The state colleges were not expensive at all. Even the and the, even the UC system, which is an excellent system, was as you say, Michael, very affordable. That's completely changed. But what well, do we do, Michael? Yeah, how I do mean, we solve how do we that? how do we fund this then? There has to be a different thinking about education. Uh, you know, there there needs to be one that that focuses on cost. You know, today if you go to UCSD, which was my alma mater, I mean, it is a palace. You know, yeah. and, the, and the schools look at that and say, "Isn't this great?" And I look at it and say, "No, it's not great because the student has to pay for this, <laughs> and they can get the same information <laughs> in a crappy, you know, uh, building as 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 uh, uh, for cheaper than the marble, you know, glass." Uh, 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 you know, symbolism, uh, statues. Do they even need to go to a school anymore? I mean, nowadays with iTunes U, uh, people like this Khan uh, University, you could get a pretty darn good education without ever entering 
an institution. Khan, Khan Academy, Academy yeah. it's amazing. You couldn't be more right. Unfortunately, there's this deep-rooted uh, bias in business, especially, which yeah. says, well, if you don't have a degree, you know, you must not be smart. And, and I'll tell you right now, if there's any brilliant high school kids, come work for me. I'll hire kids straight out of high school if they're motivated and, uh, uh, you know, because if you know what you want to do, you don't need to pay $100,000 to a, a four-year university. You, you can pick up uh, education a lot of different ways. Michael, really a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, you, 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 I, I just, I always am interested in what you're up to because you've consistently, over two decades, had your finger on the pulse of what's happening and been able to leap from idea to idea and uh, and do some amazing things. Well, thank you, Leo. And let me let me before I go, let me leave you with one thing. I launched a, a new uh, company called DAR.FM, and I want you to go try it out. You're actually on there, by the way. What DAR.FM is is a TiVo for radio. I love so, it. So today about 40% of homes have a DVR, right? And, yeah. and if you have a DVR, you can't live without it because now you're in control, not the broadcaster. But you don't have one for radio, uh, but using DAR.FM, it's a cloud service. So you can type in any talk show, uh, uh, like the tech guy, um, any uh, you know political show, Jim Rome, sports shows, whatever, NPR, Rush Limbaugh, whatever, music, and, and have it record. All the recordings go in the cloud. You can listen to it on demand whenever you want on, on any device, your PC, your Android phone, your, your, your iPhone. So, uh, Is I'm this legal? This. <laughs> I was going to say, have they sued you yet or are you just still waiting? You, you guys, don't so many ideas. Uh, but no, um, I, I mentioned uh, Cablevision. That was a very important case because uh -huh. remember, Cablevision launched a right. network-based DVR for their yep. customers. Yep where all the equipment was centralized, and the court said, even if Cablevision owns the equipment, even if Cablevision wrote all the software, as long as the user is hitting that record button, it's the user that's doing the copying, and therefore no licenses is required. So yes, DAR.FM is, is legal. I am going to put the, uh, the, the uh, DAR.FM uh, uh, record this show button on my website. Thank you very much. I, I hope you do. Now, you're real good about putting podcasts and stuff out there, but a lot of shows aren't, right. and, um, and, and it's more targeted for, for those. But it is nice to have it recorded, have it all centralized sure. in one nice repository. Sure. Yeah, I mean, we put out edited versions that don't have any of the ads. You'll get all the ads and everything. But uh, why not? I mean, uh, this is something. It's funny how many people ask me, I want a VHS recorder for radio. Uh, very interesting. This, well, and this now is... You, now you tell them that, that, that they have one. Yeah. And I will tell you this. Um, you know, we, we just last week, we emailed a bunch of the radio uh, stations saying, hey, you're in our system. And the response was, mm, well, imagine what happened when the, when the TiVo first came out, right? Yeah. <laughs> you're doing what? You're letting them copy. You Wait, can't do that. Commercials, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, slow down. It will actually help your business. Uh, but, but I got some work to do, uh, convincing radio. Well, you're that, not uh, taking anything out. This is actually better than the podcast because all of their ads are in there. Everything's in there. But the key is getting Arbitron to recognize no, they don't get this, right? Because that's what happened. That's what made it smooth for TiVo is when right. Nielsen said, all right, we're going we're gonna to figure out how to right. do ratings on this. I love it that you've got an iPhone, Android, Palm, and Windows Phone 7 apps. Right, and you, and you can even there's there's internet radios like the squeeze box from Logitech is an amazing device. You know, you can you know it's a, it's the size of a loaf of bread. You can put it all over your house, record something, and then when you're cooking dinner, you click play on the darn thing and, and it plays. It's it's really a, a wonderful consumer experience to time shift any content that that might be out there. Roku too. 
Roku. We, yeah, we we're the actually Roku. the fourth most popular channel on Roku, by the way. People are, are using a Roku to listen to music, which surprised both Roku and, uh, and us. Inter very interesting. Very cool. What's the, what, do you know what the most recorded show is? You know, I'm just uh, I'm just collecting that data because I'm going to a radio uh, conference in two weeks to to give them. So I, so I don't know, um, uh, 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 so I don't know that that data. That's very interesting. Very in yeah, you're right. I mean, it probably wouldn't be my show only because uh, people can get the podcast from all uh, all these different places. But you've got three different radio stations uh, that record that play my show you you can record it right off of them which is great right today today we have about 1200 stations in the system we we estimate there's about 10,000 in the United States these are AM FM stations by the way um, and about 4,000 of those are online so so we've got uh, you know another couple thousand to add to the system but but it's hard you know adding stations and building out the guide so we know what's on at six o'clock to nine o'clock and, and all right. that kind of stuff it just takes a little time yeah a lot of effort I'm sure on that Michael a real pleasure to talk to you Likewise. Thanks, Leo. Thanks, Tom. Thanks so much for joining Great us. Great talking with you, Michael. Michael Robertson at michaelrobertson.com if you want to find out all the things he's doing, including the Michael Robertson Minute, which used to be audio. You don't still record that, though? No, I don't. Just words. <laughs> Just words. It's easy. You can read it in less than a minute now. Thank you, sure. Michael. All right. Bye, Take guys. care. What a Cheers. great guest. What an interesting fella. Yeah, he has, he has always been on the edge of, of whatever is is interesting and new, which is why he's ended up being, being sued every being single time in the headlines. <laughs> yeah, because he's he's doing the thing that's next, and they don't like it. You got it. You got to feel in that it. business model, like yeah. you talked about. Yeah, fascinating stuff. We do triangulation. We get some great people. In fact, I really want to get a con of Khan Academy on. We're that's a great idea. Yeah, um, but we try to get the most interesting people out there on this show and talk about all sorts of interesting stuff. We're glad if you watch. Uh, we encourage you to watch. Uh, Every uh, Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern, you can watch live or watch it uh, after the fact because uh, you can always, uh, we TiVo it for you in yeah. effect. Go to twit.tv slash TRI for all the nine previous episodes as well. We thank Netflix for uh, sponsoring the show. We really appreciate that. Thank you for being here. This Week in Radio Technology is coming up next. We'll see you next time on Triangulation. Triangulation.